to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We're in the right place at the right time to receive from Abba all the goodness, all of the mercy that we need. It is so good that his, his word says that his mercies are new every morning. That means that this morning he already had everything that we needed. So Lord, we bless you and we thank you, oh God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you because we don't take it lightly. We don't just uh, idly pass by, oh God. We stop and we reflect on your goodness. We reflect on your holiness. And we say thank you, God. We thank you for all the things, oh Lord. In your name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You can go ahead and be seated because I usually read a lot of scripture. I try to narrow it down but hasn't quite. I'm either preaching four chapters or a verse. There's really no in between with me. Tonight is going to be a lot of scripture. Um, and it's a very popular passage um, from Nehemiah. The title of the sermon is Transitions. Can anybody testify about some transitions? The palace, the purpose, and the promise. The palace, the purpose, and the promise. Um, if you didn't already guess, I am 100% Latina. I'm, my family is from the Dominican Republic, like I said on Sunday. One of the really neat things, um, if you have not experienced yet, you may, is that in our culture, in Hispanic culture, we celebrate this thing called a quinceañera. Has anyone ever been to a quinceañera? A quinceañera is a time where we commemorate or we celebrate the transition for a young girl to becoming a young woman. It's actually, we go ham. We get like a wedding. It's like our pre-wedding. All of us, it's like our pre-wedding. You start to plan your wedding and then you start to do, go back from there. Um, and in the quinceañera, there's a lot of uh, significance in the actual ceremony. If you haven't seen one, I guarantee you, you probably are. One of the really neat things about the quinceañera is the exchanging of the shoes. You remember that? So with the shoes, the girl walks into the church or the venue or wherever it is, and she walks in in flats or in converses or in sneakers. But then the father comes in or the mom comes in and she, they exchange those flats for a pair of heels. And in that way, they're saying that uh, these heels are now like a, a signal to all of society that this girl is now officially becoming a woman. And that made me think about um, shoes as, as these things that commemorate transition. So if you will allow me uh, to try to, to help you to remember, because you know about, you'll remember about 10% of what I said. But sometimes when you bring an illustration, you remember a little bit more. So I want you to try to remember that, remember that with the sneakers, with the shoes, and with the house shoes. I, I wore house shoes on purpose. All right, I, I wasn't losing my mind. Um, the first part of the book of Nehemiah, you, if you don't know the book of Nehemiah or you don't know this character, I, I encourage you to go home and read this, this story. It's actually intriguing the amazing things that God does uh, to the life or through the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah begins in a very, it's, it's a peculiar way that, it, to me, it's a peculiar way how it starts. The book of Nehemiah starts by explaining this man. It doesn't really say what he does as of yet. In chapter 1, it doesn't really tell, tell you what he does. But someone comes and tell, tells Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the walls are broken. There's a, basically, there's a problem. And the Bible says, and we're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 8. 
Nehemiah in verse 5, he starts to pray to the Lord. So before I talk to you about transition, before I talk to you about the life of Nehemiah, Nehemiah started everything with prayer. And I love that he started with prayer because you and I know if we don't pray, it's like breathing. We're, we're not going to be able to survive. And nevertheless, are we ever going to survive transitions if we don't pray? So he starts in verse 5 and he starts to speak to the Lord. I'll leave it for you as homework. We're going to jump in in verse 8. And says, and Nehemiah says, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants and your people. I love when you pray like that. These are your people. This is your servants whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. We don't hear about his position. We don't learn about his job. We don't learn about uh, what it is that he does for a living until after we hear him, Nehemiah, praying. Nehemiah starts by praying, but I am intrigued that he is the cupbearer. And if I can try to help you to remember this part of the story, it's like if you're wearing house shoes. So Nehemiah as a cupbearer would have lived in the house 24-7, right? He, his sole responsibility would have been to taste everything before giving it to the king. So he had to taste, pause, if he didn't die, okay, you're good. We're going to take it, we're going to give it to the king. So it, it was a place of comfort. We can say it was a place of comfort, right? At least we understand uh, uh, historically, geographically, cupbearers are not people that work in the field and then come in late or come in tired or exhausted to then come and do their role in the palace. A cupbearer lives in the palace 24-7. So I can deduce that Nehemiah was probably very comfortable in the palace. He probably had access to very beautiful rooms and, and probably had access to when the king had important meetings and important conversations because he had a proximity to the king that not a lot of people had because of his job, because of his position. In this role, Nehemiah could have very well either been, you could wear, be barefoot, you could, you could wear sandals, you could wear house shoes because your job is inside the home. And Sometimes we despise when God has us hidden in a certain place. Sometimes, and especially some women uh, uh, that are housewives, we don't understand. And you're like, oh, I, you're, you're waiting for what's next. And God is saying, listen, I have you in house shoes for a reason. I'm equipping you and you are in the perfect place at the right time to make something great for the kingdom of God. 
You see, with house shoes, uh, uh, you don't necessarily need anything with traction because the floors have been fixed and, and the carpet has been laid and, and the wood floor has been sanded and, and, and the place is mopped before you. And, and for Nehemiah, he didn't need to have any shoes with any type of tread. He didn't need to have anything that would protect them from the elements because he was safe in the king's house. He was safe in the palace. And, and when he was there, because he understood the importance of learning to be happy with every situation that God takes you in. In other words, Nehemiah did a good job wearing house shoes. Because he did a good job wearing house shoes, he was at the right time in the right place wearing the right shoes. Then God could call him to do something great. Had Nehemiah said, you know what, I'm not cut out for this cupbearer thing. I, I think you should send me to, to go out into the field. And he may have despised because there's a lot of things going on. And, and he would have said, I'm not, I'm not cut out to be in the palace with the king. I have a bigger purpose in life. But no, he accepted his position. And during the time he was there, he did it so well that chapter 2 says that when he came to the king... Already knowing the information that he knew, already knowing that the wall was torn down, he came to the king and something about his demeanor had shifted. You see, when you're wearing house shoes, we have to be very careful about how comfort does not give us the excuse or the permission to use our emotions to manipulate anyone. Oftentimes those people that are closest to us are the people that know all of our business, that know what we do and how we do it. And oftentimes instead of words that are not going to work because they know what we're going to say or how we're going to react, oftentimes we use our emotions to try to manipulate them or manipulate the situation. But I know for a fact Nehemiah was a a, a man of integrity and wore his house shoes well because for once he came to the king and that's the time that he had a somber demeanor. He didn't come with a somber demeanor because the king spoke to him in a certain way. It's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to come like this until the king gives me, some, uh, gives me a bonus or, or trying, to, trying to get the king to do something. No, he was genuinely, uh, genuinely concerned for the people of Israel. And as a matter of fact, if you read chapter 2, he was actually afraid when the king asked, asked him, what's wrong with you? It, it, in no time did the proximity to the king let Nehemiah think that I'm going to come, tell him what's wrong, and I'm going to pour my heart out, and then he's going to do everything I want him to do. That wasn't his plan. He had proximity to the king, and he wore his house shoes so well that he was so in tune with the king, he didn't even have to speak. His demeanor, his countenance had changed. And since the king had never seen him like that before, he quickly said, what's, what's going on? What's happening in your life? What's, what's the turmoil? I, I'm, not, I'm not going around telling people I'm sad because I, I just want to manipulate or have people feel sorry for me. Turmoil is something that you need to reserve for when you're actually in turmoil. It's like... It's like the, the girl that cried wolf, you know, sometimes you go up to people, how are you? Oh, woe is me. And you say that every day with every situation that I don't know really when you're really going through something serious or when you're really, it's just you saying woe is me. Or that you may be a little depressed, right? That's depression. 
This is not what Nehemiah did. He, he wore his house shoes very well. And he did so because I can imagine that Nehemiah was always very chipper, very positive, very... And, and it had to be because the moment that that shifted, the king noticed right away. So when you wear your house shoes well, you have proximity to the king. You have access to the king that, that perhaps you would not if, if, if you were wearing other shoes or if you despised the shoes that you're wearing. Because for all intents and purposes, we don't know if Nehemiah was called to be a cupbearer or if he was forced to be a cupbearer. But whichever of the two, he still walked in those shoes in that season and he did it well. We have to learn how to be men and women that are obedient to God and are faithful to God regardless of the seasons of our lives. When we're able to do that, I'm telling you that every time, every time, God will use you for his glory and for his goodness. And then we see Nehemiah, uh, if you read chapter 2, and I'll leave it for you, for you to read it on your own. He, he has this countenance that's somber, and the king asks him what's wrong. And, 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 and then he says, Nehemiah, what do you need? Bro, what's, what, what, if, what, what can I do? How can we fix this situation? Your, your proximity to me is so important. He had created an atmosphere of trust and of care and of affection in such a way that the king automatically says, how can I fix this problem? And let me tell you, it's one thing if you come to me and you tell me my problem and, I, and your problem. And I'm like, oh, let me see how I can fix it. I may be able to. If you need for someone to cook for you, I may be able to help you. But if, if it's anything beyond that, I'm going to be like, bro, we're going to pray. Because I don't have all of the things that you need. But, but if you go up to the king and, and, you, and you have a, a countenance and you have turmoil, do you not know that God cares about how you and I feel? feel. He is genuinely invested in your dreams and my dreams. And, and when we are disappointed, if anyone knows about disappointment, my goodness, I could write a book. Who, who could write a book? Who could write a chapter of my book, right? We understand disappointment. And, and in the midst of that, we think that God is drawing away from us when in actuality, God draws closer, near to the brokenhearted. And the king says, Nehemiah, how can I help you? And, and I like that in verse 5, or the, the half of verse 4, it starts by saying, so I prayed to the God of heaven. So, but Nehemiah, bro, you already prayed in chapter 1. You prayed for the situation. You gave it to Jesus and that's it. Leave it there. Leave it there. Praise the Lord. But then when you're in front of the king and the king says, what do you need? He didn't say, well, Actually, that's exactly why I came. Nah, Nehemiah did not have a premeditated plan. He didn't. At least I don't think scripture supports that. So then he says, so I prayed to God again. I was like, Jesus, this dude just asked me what I needed. I don't know. What am I supposed to say? And he says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside me, how long will you journey, will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him, and I set him a time. So Nehemiah had, for all intents and purposes, he had constructed a very elaborate, very effective relationship 
wearing house shoes. He, the king was comfortable with him. The king knew his demeanor. The king understood when he was happy and when he was not. The king said, what is it that you need? I can give you whatever it is that you need. Tell me how we can fix the situation. He had created rapport. He had created a, a sense of comfortability. And in this time, Nehemiah could have said, because he had access and because he had resources, he could have went back to the person that came to him in chapter 1 to tell him about the problem and said, hey, I the king said, you guys can go. We have the resources. He's given me a letter. He's sending people with you. Go. You got this. Go. But the Bible doesn't say that. Nehemiah says, now send me so that I can rebuild. And that was a transition for Nehemiah. So Nehemiah had a decision to make. And in that decision, and don't mind me when I'm putting on my sneakers because they're, they're a little funky. They're a little, oh, they're Jordans, but they're tight. So bear with me. Nehemiah had a choice to make, right? And in that choice, he could have stayed with his house shoes. They're not funky because they smell. They're just funky to put them on. Because, um, you know, we got to take care of them. He had a decision to make. He could have kept his house shoes. As a matter of fact, I don't think he would have offended the Lord if he did. He just not, he would not have been part of what God was doing. Because it's, it's your decision how far and how fast you'll go, right? God won't force you. But he will give you opportunities to transition into something greater. Into more effective ministry. Into greater places of glory and of influence. So Nehemiah said, well, as comfortable as I am in the house, as, as great as it is to eat the king's portion, as nice as it is to get along with my boss and to have my boss tell me, you can have whatever you need to do whatever you want, as nice as that is and as comfortable as that is, that I don't have to work outside or be labor with weather and storms and all the things, as comfortable as that is, I have a mission from the Lord and I'm going to to make a choice to transition and then he transitioned into sneakers now let me tell you about sneakers y'all in the south call them tennis shoes I know and I'm from the north we call them sneakers and I know and I know I look like a southern belle no I don't no I don't but in the north this is this is what we wear I was gonna wear heels but then I was like can be real just be real right so Nehemiah was like, you know what, where I'm going, let me use my shoehorn because I can't get them on. It's fine. Everything is fine. Where I'm going, I am no longer going to be in the house. And because I'm no longer going to be in the house, things are going to change. And with these changes, if I keep what I wore in the last season, I will not survive in the new season. Because the Bible says in chapter 2 that he left the palace. He was protected from the palace guards. He had a letter of approval. But had he gone with the mentality, with the behavior, with the thoughts of what he had in the previous season, which worked in the previous season. He had to wear house shoes in the palace. But he can't wear house shoes where he's going because now is the time to run. And if you've ever tried to run with house shoes, it is an out-of-body experience. You can fall, you can trip, you're going to be a mess because you're trying to do something that you're not equipped to do. Not because you've done something wrong per se or you're sinning against God. It's just that you're trying to do something today with yesterday's anointing. 
You're trying to, to run the race with house shoes. And let me tell you, it was important to establish that intimacy with the king. You needed to survive. You needed to breathe. But that intimacy with the king begins to yield fruit in your life. And that fruit gives you this unction and this momentum. I got to do something. Point me in the right direction and I'm about to shoot. So he had to put on sneakers because he had to leave the palace. And, and as he traveled in the palace, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I know for a fact he must have endured dirt. He must have endured some little animals, little insects, little things. It probably rained in his transition, in his journey. And if he would have been wearing the fluffy house shoes, he would not be able to withstand it. His feet would hurt because house shoes are not intended for momentum. They're not intended for speed. They're just intended for intimacy. So he said, you know what, I need to change my shoes. And he transitioned from the palace to the purpose. You see, God, God calls us to his divine presence and God calls us to, to, his, to his purpose and to his dwelling place because he's trying to do something in each and every one of us. And let me tell you, if no one has reminded you, you have a purpose with God. Yes, you do. You came to Christ. You accepted him as your savior. You have been called and set apart. And what God has called you to do, no one else can do it like you do. No one else has the personality, the stamina, the speed that you do. But the devil will have you thinking that you cannot run. But I'm here to remind you in the name of Jesus that in May, you may. And it is time to run. It is time to grab momentum from a monument to a movement. And he put the sneakers on and he, the Bible says that it takes him three days to get there and he begins to do like an exegesis of the problem. And he begins to look at what's happening and, and he begins to observe what's happening because he understands that although he prayed and although he's been equipped with the right shoes, he still has to work. You see, us accepting ministry and us saying yes to Jesus doesn't mean I get to lay back and do nothing. That's not the way it works because God has called us as laborers. So he begins to look and he begins to plan. I love when the Bible shows us men and women of strategy. I love strategy. As Brother Torrance said that I, I'm an entrepreneur with my sample clothes. Maybe I will be because I love to talk about strategies. God is a strategist. If you didn't know that, I came to tell you today, God is a strategist. He will tell you where to go. He will tell you when to speak, when not to speak. He'll tell you, as a matter of fact, three or four weeks ago, I was about to walk into a meeting and I heard clear as day. I'm telling you, I wish God would speak to me this clearly about other things. But that day he was like, today's the day that you need to hear me clearly. He said, don't go in. And I was just like, I don't think, Jesus, this is not a big deal. It's just a little training. I'm good. Don't go in. Sure enough, sure enough. The things that transpired after that meeting, I'm like, Lord, I am, I'm just so grateful that at some point you saw fit to tell me your strategies for this season. But if I would have been wearing and thinking about the way that I used to when I was wearing house shoes, I would not have been attentive to what he's telling me. But we need to be careful and we need to listen to his voice. When you are walking out your purpose, you have to understand that sometimes you may get tired. Running is tiring. If you've never tried to run, let me tell you, 
the moment I'm like, Kim, that's it. We're going to start working out. It's going to be great. You, Jesus, and me, it's going to be great. And I start working out and I'm like one minute on that treadmill and I'm like, this just is not of God. I think, Lord, I'm going to love me as myself, Jesus, because you love me. Everybody else is going to love me just the way I am. Because it's tough, right? We can all agree being on a treadmill is tough. But then these, you know, high performers and, and overachievers, they're like, no, but you got to put incline on it. You got to put incline on it. And I'm like, what are you saying? But then they make it look so easy. So I'm looking over and this girl's like on a four, on a five. And I'm like, oh, snap. Let me do it too because I'm going to go on a four or five and I'm holding on to the top of the treadmill for my dear life because I'm like, I'm not going to make it. And I thought, literally thought my heart was going to pour out of my mouth because I'm like, I'm going to die because it hurts, right? It hurts to run. It's painful. Sometimes you get tired, but let me tell something to you. Nothing will build you stronger, quicker than you starting to do some exercise. I'm preaching to myself, Jesus. I hear you. I hear you so clearly. I I hear you, God. Nothing will build you quicker and stronger than some movement. And that's what sneakers are for. And Nehemiah began to do an exegesis. And we're going to find Nehemiah then on chapter, on verse 17, still in chapter 2. In the midst of that, in the midst of him doing what he's going to do, I'm not going to read it. But going back to verse 10, he meets Sambalat and Ammonite. Tell your neighbor, Sambalat and Ammonite. See, you know, you know Hebrew. Look at you. Sambalat. And he, he meets these two people are key because they're, they're, they're going to help him with transition. My enemies are not, they're, God, they're not here to destroy me. God uses them to promote me and to transition me and to put me exactly where he wants to put me. Sambalat and Ammonite. But we're, we're going to go reading in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see distress in the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words and he had spoke, that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build when they set their hands to this good work. Let me tell you something about when you're wearing sneakers. Wearing sneakers is contagious, right? If you, as a matter of fact, if you run by someone, right, randomly, you've seen the little videos. If you randomly run next to somebody and you look scared, most often they're going to run and look later. They're going to be like, I don't know why you're running from, but I'm going to run because running is contagious, right? So he begins to, he gets up, he takes his place, he takes off his house shoes and it's time to run. He says, guys, we're going to build the wall. I don't care how many hundreds of years it's been, over a hundred years that it has been torn down. I don't care how bad the things look and how desolate the situation is. It is time to run. It is time to build. And something comes on you when you appropriately put your sneakers on. You get very, very motivational. There is nothing more motivational than somebody that works out at the gym. It's like they're on drugs. They're like, woo, you can do that. Let's go. Three more. They're, they're motivated because as a matter of fact, physically, when you exercise, you create endorphins and it makes you feel good. And he's running and he's saying it's time to go. It's time to build. The time is now from a monument to a movement. And he did it so well. And they listened and they were able to get up and rebuild the wall with him. But then in verse 19, but when Sambalat, the Horonite, 
Tobiah the Ammonite official, oh, it was Tobiah, not Ammonite, that's the place, don't mind me. And Geshem, the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? What is this thing that you're doing? So when, when the enemy starts to see you run, you know what he's going to do? He is going to question your intentions. There's, there's nothing, man, if I had a nickel. I, when I'm in the back, nobody knows who I am. I'm just attending a church or attending, a, nobody knows who I am. I've done nothing. Nobody knows me. People don't mess with me. It's like I'm everybody's friend. I'm like, oh, kid, we love you. You're so, you're so funny. The moment I say yes to Jesus and I'm going to take a position or I'm going to take a, be a part of a ministry, I'm telling you, it's like the, the hell gangs up on me. They're like, we're going to take her out. We're going to mess with her emotions. We're going to mess with her body. We're going to mess with her mind or her family the whole night. We're going to send a, a whole bunch of things to her destruction because guess what? The moment that you put your sneakers on and you, you understand that it's time to move, you're going to have opposition. The enemy is ready. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. He's, he's checking you out. He is, he is figuring out your weaknesses and, and how you speak and what you say and, and where you go so that he can start to pounce. It's, it's going to happen because the moment that you run, the opposition will come. And when the opposition came to Nehemiah, they questioned his intentions. And that is what the devil loves to do. Are you really here for the right reasons? Did you really accept this position because you want to glorify God? You know you just want people to see you. You know you just want to hang around the pastors. You know, and on and on. He starts, to, and then he does it so well that we were like, oh my goodness, Jesus, search my heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Let me tell you in the name of Jesus. You can tell the devil to shut up in the name of Jesus. They said, bro, what, what, are, you, what are you guys doing? What are you, you little, you know, in that way, it's almost like when you see your child coming and doing something in your house and you're like, what are you doing? You're not even, you're not even thinking this through. You're, you're completely out of line, Nehemiah. You're completely out of, what are you doing? You don't have the capacity to do this. Why are you pretending like you have sneakers on? You're not built for this. You're not smart enough for this. You're not anointed enough. You know how much you struggle. What are you going to tell me you're going to build for Jesus? You can't even build yourself. Why are you talking about you have sneakers on? You know that all you have is a whole bunch of sneakers with holes on it because you've had such a crooked past. What are you doing here? Why do you come and talk about how use me, God? What are you doing here? Because you know that you're actually here for all the wrong reasons. And the, and the attack is so targeted into our hearts. And if we're not careful, we will transition before time. Or we will want to go back to a season that God took us out of. And we will question ourselves, did we hear God? If that is not one of the things that I, that I ask God all the time, it's like, did I hear you? Because I think I missed something or you missed something because this can't be you. This is so crazy. It's been so much, so much negativity. It can't be you. But, but Nehemiah had to understand, listen, the reason that they're coming at you, the reason the opposition has arisen is because you're in the center of the will of the Father. So Nehemiah answered them in verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build but you have no heritage or rights or memorial in Jerusalem. 
He says, you know what, you can say what you want to say. Talk all the things behind my back you want to talk about. Have meetings about how what I'm doing is not effective to you or, or why I should move, be moved out of my position. Because if that hasn't happened to you, let me tell you, live long enough in ministry and in life, it's going to happen. People will have meetings about you. They're, they're going to say how you shouldn't be in that position, how you don't talk right, how you're from a Dominican descent and you're too ghetto to be on this altar. And they're going to tell you that over and over and over again. But you have to make a decision to know whose you are and who called you and when you understand who called you then greater is he that is within me than he who is in the world and I will remind the devil every time bro you sound like you're saying the truth but you're 100% lying because greater is he that is within me than he who is in the world and in chapter 3 go back and read it although it's very repetitive it talks about all of the portions of the wall that are rebuilt and who is doing that rebuilding basically Nehemiah is running He's running and he's provoked a whole bunch of people to put their sneakers on and run again. But then we get to chapter 4. Tell your neighbor we're in chapter 4. Let me tell you something about chapter 4. Hmm. Hallelujah. Some of y'all are in chapter 4. The beginning says, verse 1. But it so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. So he already knew we were going to start. But then when he, when he heard that his tactics did not work, do you think that the devil is going to shy away because the tactics did not work? Nah, nah, let me tell you. Woo, he's going to try harder. He said he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are these weakling Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in, in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Listen to how meticulous... The devil is so afraid of when you and I put sneakers on that he will come at you with every possible thing. He first calls them weak. You are weak. You're not cut out for this. You're not good enough for this. You're not smart enough. You don't sing well enough. You don't preach well enough. You're not cut out for this. And then you're not only not cut out for this because you're feeble, but also whatever you build is going to fall apart anyway. Even if a fox is on it, it's going to fall apart. Because what you're, gonna, what you're doing is not going to work is what he's telling. What, what, what these enemies are telling Nehemiah, everything you do for the kingdom, it's not going to work. You've tried before and it didn't work then. Look at you yet again trying to trust God when God didn't do it the way you thought he did the last time. And something about this particular attack, something about this time that this, these very peculiar sentences that were said to Nehemiah, Nehemiah's response changes. Up until chapter 4 verse 6, Nehemiah was wearing different shoes. But something shifted in verse, sorry, in verse 4. Nehemiah says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. 
do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Up until now, and if you remember chapter 1, Nehemiah is like, Lord, forget you forgave the sins of your people. Lord, you're good. When, when the king asked him, hey, what was wrong with you? Hey, you know, if it pleases the king, you know, if you want to give me what I need. And, and then, hey, guys, it's time to build. Come on. We got this. Super encourager. Super like, woo, we're so positive. But something happened about this particular attack that merited a transition for Nehemiah. So he went from the palace and he was living his purpose. And then he was like, I have a promise that merits a shoe change. See, until now, he's like, I can't just run anymore. I can't just run anymore, right? It's time to, it's time to fight. I'm a survivor. Oh, Tim, you see, they're so much easier. Ah, oh, yes. Something happened in verse 4. That said, Nehemiah, it's now that you have to shift and to transition into a new dimension, into a new walk with God. And at that time, the sweet Nehemiah, the positive Nehemiah, the, you know, if it pleases the king Nehemiah, turned into hear, oh God, smite them, don't forget their iniquities, knock them all dead. He shifted his perspective because he finally understood that my battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against demonic forces, and he addressed it as such. He says, I want them out of my way. It is okay for you and I to get to a point that we are just fed up and say, I want them removed from my path. I don't want one more conversation. I don't want one more meeting had about me. I am done with what the enemy is doing. He said, do not forget their iniquities. There's nothing good in them. They're here just trying to destroy them, to destroy me. If there's one thing that, that generally kind, positive people, we, will, we'll, we won't assume the worst of people. We won't, we, as a matter of fact, most of the time when Sambalat and Tobiah come to us, we don't even know that they're fully there for our destruction. We'll invite them into our houses. We will cook for them. We will serve them. But then you get to know what their true intentions are and you're like, nah, you are messing with the wrong person. You're messing with the wrong people. You're messing with the wrong family. I am here to tell you your time is over. So then verse 8 says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now let's go to verse 11. Verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is falling. Of course it's falling because there's an enemy constantly telling them you're not good enough. You're never going to amount to anything. If I put a fox on, on what you're doing, it's going to crumble. So when that happens, automatically we will experience some fear. We will experience some debility. But I'm here to tell you in verse 11, he says, and our adversary says, they will, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. They were afraid of the threats of the enemies. And verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Basically, you're in trouble. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, your enemy is upon you. You're never going to be able to leave this storm. You see, in order for me to survive the storm, I can't wear sneakers. Sneakers are not built for storms. 
Sneakers are built for speed. If, you, if I have them in the rain too much, first of all, my daughter's going to tell me off because you're not supposed to put Jordans in the rain. Second of all, my socks are eventually going to get wet because they're not intended to be able to weather the storm or to be able to weather extreme things. And as a matter of fact, if you drop something on my heel, I'm going to feel it. But when I transition into warrior shoes and when I say, you know what, bro, I, I already know what you're doing and I'm now I am ready for you. I'm going to put on some boots and you can't, it doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm wearing Tim's tonight. Something about Tim's, if you don't know, Tim's are weatherproof. As a matter of fact, when you buy the box, it says weatherproof, and I love that. Let me tell you, it is the, it is the day as June 1st starts tomorrow, God is saying, I am going to make you weatherproof. Nothing will be able to come nigh you. You will not be destroyed. You will survive the storm. I'm making you weatherproof. That's why I've been showing you transitions. That's why I've been telling you it's time to change because the war has come. The storm has arisen. But do not worry because I have made you weatherproof. Not only are Tim's weatherproof, but they have a steel, a steel heel, a heel. That means the most sensitive part of my feet you can't touch. I don't care what you throw at me. You can't touch because they're built strong. Not only is God giving me the ability to, to weather the storm, but I'm also able to walk in strength. Walk in strength like never before because I'm wearing the right shoes. Some of us are still trying to fight with house shoes and still trying to make patty cakes with the devil. Some of us are still trying to wear sneakers and talk about I'm too busy to worry about the things of the devil because I'm running. And yes, you are right. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't confront that enemy and tell him in the name of Jesus that he has to go, he's going to keep messing with you. Because it's time to transition into your promise. You see, the people of Israel, as, it, as Nehemiah prayed in chapter 1, God had said, you will come a time where you will rebuild. Nehemiah had a promise from the Lord. And because he had a promise from the Lord, he was sensitive to the transition. And he was able to say, Lord, I know I don't understand how this is all going to play out. But I'm ready to put my shoes on, the correct shoes for this season. And I will follow you. And when he transitioned into the right shoes, then we start to see a Nehemiah that goes from someone who is meek and positive and then says smite them all to now create a strategy. In verse 15, it says, therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and at the openings. And I set the people across the across." Oh, uh, according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Do not be afraid of the storm that has come against you, that has come against your family. Fight! He says fight. And when you fight, you're not only fighting for you. You're fighting for your husband. You're fighting for your wife. You're fighting for your children. You're fighting for your house. It's time to fight. But then you're going to say, Pastor Ken, what does fighting look like? Well, I'm going to tell you because Nehemiah gave us a great example. 
if you continue to read the passage, he begins to say some of you guys have to have swords and you're going to have to fight and some of you are going to build. And then eventually he crescendoed and he said, as a matter of fact, some of you are going to have to build with one hand and have the sword on the other. There is a duality that comes with Christianity that I'm going to explain to you. This is the way I understand it. I always tell people, you know what, I have two parallel truths in my mind going at all times. The first and the most important, I know that God is a conquering God. And no matter what the devil throws at me or what this world has to say or has to do, God always wins. And then there's this other parallel truth that is just as true to me. Is that Kim, you're not cut out. Kim, you're going to make mistakes. Kim, you shouldn't have said that. Kim, perhaps you should have made a better choice. Hey, Kim, maybe you should fix that. And then we have these parallel truths that are almost like, like battling each other. But I'm here to tell you. You can actually have both because it's, it's treasures in jars of clay. We are, we're trying to, to ask God to completely annihilate our human experience and our human emotions and our, and our human shortcomings. And, and yes, he will do that and he will empower us and, and he will give us all that we need. But, but also he leaves some things that are just going to be a thorn in our flesh. Because he wants us to always rely on him. To know you're absolutely right, ma'am. You're absolutely right, sir. You don't have what it takes, but I do, says the Spirit of the Lord. But when you begin to forget that you're, you're, you're just a, a, a jar of clay and you begin to think, oh, God, you've used me for all these things, that we may forget who is he that called us. So God does it on purpose. So Nehemiah sets up the men and he says you're going to fight. And he doesn't say fight. He says you're going to yield a sword with one. You're going to have it on your hip and you're going to have, you're going to build. Interesting thing, and with this I'm going to wrap up, is that, as a matter of fact, the devil had a lot of bite, had a lot of bark but no bite. Because the Bible actually says they finished the wall. They were never conquered. God revealed every possible strategy that the, the enemy had. So the fear tactics that the enemy has for you, they're just that. They're fear tactics because he is a defeated foe. And I know what, what you're, you and I agree. When, it, when we're going through the storm, it's very real. So there's those parallel truths. It's, Lord, it's very real. I have needs. I have, I have to pay a bill or, or my, the situation in my family is not good. But Lord, I know that you're great. And I know that you're good. Nehemiah said, it is time to build and it is time to defend. The enemy can't destroy you. The enemy cannot destroy you, but he can come try to infiltrate through the middle, try to get into the center, and try to destroy you from within. And distractions and animosity and sickness and disease and, and to stray you from the purpose of God so that you can stop building. If they were to have to have fought, right, if the enemy would have actually gotten up and fought against them, they would have had to stop building to go fight. Because they can only do one at a time. We're not, right, we're not multi-purpose. We're not a, one of those knives that have all those little things. We're not, that's God, not us. They would have had to have fight. But God says, this season of your life, this fighting season is a season where you build. Keep doing what God has called you to do because he's called you to do it. Weather the storm because God has already given you the victory. But I have to remind you that you also have to defend what is yours. So how do I counteract the things of the enemy? I'm not necessarily going out there and looking for the devil. Like, devil, where are you? Come at me, I got you. I'm, not, I'm defending what I have. 
I'm defending my family. As a matter of fact, two or three times in the scripture, it talks about the men fighting for their families. See, Nehemiah understood that better than most. Because Nehemiah's sole job when he was wearing house shoes was to keep the king alive. His job was to process poison, process what was from the outside, see if it's okay, and then bring it to his family, bring it to the king. He knew that very well. Because every season of his life, he did it well. So I'm going to leave you with three things about transitions where I think is important. Then we'll wrap up. In transitions, we must pray. Nehemiah prayed, and then he prayed, and then he prayed again, and then he prayed. Two, remember whose you are. If you don't remember whose you are, the devil's going to come and take you out all the time. That's why my job is not to stab anyone. My job is to defend because I know whose who's I am. I know whose I belong. I know who's actually the owner of the house. And number, th number three, just trust in his promise. What made, what made this story so, so peculiar for Nehemiah is that he had a word from the Lord. He had a promise. He knew the promise of God over the people of Israel. And that's why he was able to fight no matter what. So if you will join me on your feet. I know transitions are hard. I do. I know. I'm probably in the middle of one right now. Which is why God gives me these sermons because he's trying to speak to me first. I know transitions are hard. But I'm going to tell you he's equipped you and he will speak to you and he will tell you exactly what to do. Because Nehemiah actually, he gave a time for the king to go back. He went back to house shoes. But then in that, we don't know what God else, what else God could have done in his life. Because you have to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. So allow me to pray for you. Every eyes closed, heads bowed. Spirit of the Lord, you that know our hearts, you that know our beginnings, you that know our end. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bless your people tonight. Some people that are feeling that transition, you've been calling them to a new set of shoes. I pray that you give them the, the fortitude and the encouragement tonight to know that it's you, God. It's your prompting. It's you that have called them with great purpose. It's you that is saying it's time to run. It is literally time to run. You've, you've already prayed about it. You've already sought his face about it. It is time to go and it is time to do. For some of you, you've been running for a long time. You're like me. We've been, we've been at this for, for a season or two. We've been running hard. And we are confronted often with, with storms. And with people that will make you doubt yourself, make you doubt your purpose. But I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus that God is the one who called you. He is the one who separated you from your mother's womb. He gave you exactly what you needed to do the task and do it well. 
He gave you that personality. He gave you uh, uh, the, your look. He gave you your thoughts. He gave you your creativity. That all came from him. Your job, my job is to submit it to him and watch him work. But it was him who called you. You belong to him. And for those of you that are, are going through storms tonight, you're going to say, Pastor Kim, I'm going through some storms tonight. I'm just going to tell you what God told me, weather proof. Weather proof. No matter how, how loud the wind is, no matter how bad the rain gets, no matter how many days it has been since you haven't seen the sun, the moon, or the stars because it is so dark around you, I'm here to remind you like God told Paul when he was out in the middle of the hurricane, he says, Paul, I have something for you to do and that's why you will not perish. I'm here to tell you tonight, I have something for you to do. He has called you with purpose and he has given you a promise and you're weatherproof. The storm will not kill you. The storm will not end your life. The storm will not destroy your house. It will not destroy your marriage. It will not destroy your children. You are weatherproof. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of his mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We cry, holy, holy, holy. That's why we can sing that, because we're confident in him. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. You know us. You know us, God, better than we know ourselves. So thank you, oh God, for your word because it is alive. It is like a double-edged sword. That means that wherever we have come to it, oh God, you have transformed our mentality and our hearts, oh God. So all we can do is worship you tonight. We praise you in the storm, Abba. We praise you in the storm. Lord, and as we transition from May to June, I declare and I prophesy that your people, oh God, will be strengthened from the inside out. That your people, oh God, may be given all that they need and more, oh God, so that they can weather the storm. I declare in the name of Jesus that the last six months of this year will be months filled with glory, months filled with certainty, months filled with your presence, oh God. And as we learn to transition, as we learn to hear your voice, oh God, may your worship always be on our lips, oh God. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this midweek fill-up, for filling our tanks again, oh God. 
In your name we pray. Name that is above all names. Can you just lift up your hand as we're going to end this time just worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is asking you tonight, what is it that you need? What is it that you need? What is it that you need? I am more than able, says the Spirit of the Lord. I am more than able, says the Spirit of the Lord. Have I ever left you, says the Spirit of the Lord? Have I ever deserted you, says the Spirit of the Lord? There's never been a day when you've been without my presence. If I did it before, I will do it again. Kia setebo tu suria kayasa. Shetili abasutu ayakaya siti akaya. Mesiti abayeli kaya sutu ayaba. Listen, before we leave, the altar is open. I feel like shuki bayasa. Shuki bayasa. The altar is open. If you need prayer tonight, this is the place. You're in the right place at the right time to receive what you need from him tonight. Because he knows. He says, I've heard your cries. I've heard him. I've been with you at night when you feel like no one else is there and there's tears down your eyes and they hit your pillow and you think no one sees me. I hear the spirit of the Lord saying, I am there, says the spirit of the Lord. I hear your cries. And I'm giving you access and I'm giving you authority and I'm saying it's time to change your shoes it's time to transition it's time to transition we cry holy 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 we cry 